This is Harold Sylvester, also known as Griff, and you are listening to the Married with Children podcast. Now that's the kind of fighting spirit we're looking for. Now we'll be the few, the proud. We'll be the best that we can be. Uh, <laughs> no, guys, the uh, National Guard's motto is, if it happens on a weekend, we'll be there. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. You're not worthy of the guard. We're not worthy of the guard. You're out of shape with butts of lard. We're out of shape with butts of lard. Oink off three, four. Oink off, we're sore. All right, guys, you ready to record today? Yeah, I think we're good. We got uh, got the beers ready, got the nudie bar cleaned up. I think we're good to go. All right, so Chris, I think you should go first. Oh, uh, I don't I don't know. I, I don't want to go first. Lou, I think you should go first. No, I don't think so. Let me rephrase. I'm ordering you to go first. Let me rephrase. Bite me. Have you ever seen a war movie? The black man always gets it first. (laughs) (laughs) Attend. As you were, you are looking at 2nd Lieutenant Gunter, National Guard Reserves. More like G.I. Joe. (laughs) Hey. Laugh all you want. This action figure is anatomically correct. That's questionable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This Lou isn't a... You're looking at a guy who once got a 500-pound woman out of a size 6 pump. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. Today we are reviewing Season 11, Episode 13, Trash, T-R-A-S-H. Original air date, January 27th, 1997. Special guest stars, Harold Sylvester as Griff, J.J. Johnston as Drill Instructor, Gonzo Raymond as Santo, Jerry Giles as Duane, and Lucky the Dog as Lucky the Dog. Jefferson has joined the National Guard. He tells Alan Griff of the benefits. For one weekend per month, one gets to party with a bunch of guys and even get paid for it. Of course, you have to pass basic training first, but even that has a benefit. One does not have to go to one's regular job, but the boss still has to pay the salary. Alan Griff suddenly feel the urge to serve their country. Monday, learn how to run a better business. 
be flexible. The next batch of muffins will be ready in about two hours. Meantime, enjoy some sweet and low. Be inventive. There are too many prongs. Bend one back. And when things go wrong, be positive. The plumber is coming a week from Monday. First thing. For more tips, catch Ned and Stacy. Then, welcome to the armed forces. Drop and give me 50 more scum. Private Al Bundy. All I got is this five. Married with children. It all happens Monday on Fox. All right, so welcome back, everyone, and uh, let's welcome back Lou Jones, who uh, is one of our fans on YouTube, who's one of our frequent commentators. Lou, welcome back, and thanks for joining us. No problem. Appreciate you having me. Pleasure. Uh, before we get started, now, Chris, uh, you were very excited to review this episode, uh, specifically because you were in the National Guard. So maybe do you want to tell the fans a little bit about your experiences? Yeah, sure. Yeah, this is one that I've been um, looking forward to for a while. I, I, I feel like it's probably one that's not popular amongst a lot of fans, and I, and I certainly can understand the reason why. It's super corny and, and super goofy, and, uh, you know, it has um, a lot of the same issues that uh, a good number of episodes in Season 11 and, and Season 10 have, but... It does hold a special place in my heart because I did four years in the Army National Guard myself. I think the reason the why I like this one so much is because it, it's just exciting for me to see, you know, my all-time favorite character, you know, Al Bundy, enlisting and doing, uh, you know, and going through basic training, what well, we see in abbreviated basic training, <laughs> and, and seeing him um, serving his country. So I do enjoy that, and it's, uh, you know— it's kind of reminiscent to, you know, I give them a lot of credit, at least for the setup in principle there, the way they set up the barracks there in basic training. They definitely uh, either got some consultants or they <laughs> got some set designers that have done some, some military movies or something because the, the setup there for basic training is, uh, it reminds me a lot of my barracks. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's some inaccuracies and such uh, as far as uniforms and things like that. And I'll point those out as we go along, that type of thing. But really, that's just me nitpicking. Uh, I, in, in all honesty, I do enjoy this episode, and I'm glad they did it. So very much looking forward to doing the review. Now, we have a couple of notes from Annabelle on this uh, before we start talking about the episode. So I didn't mention the writers earlier because I'm going to mention them now. There were four writers on this episode. We have Terry Malone, Mindy Morgenstern, Todd Newman, and David Faustino, believe it or not. So really? this this is his only writing credit, I believe, that we're aware of. So he was one of the writers on the show. I guess he had the idea and probably wrote something, you know, some of the dialogue. It's something, I guess, if we ever got a chance to interview him, maybe to talk about. Also, this was the last episode by production order to be directed by Amanda Burse. If you look at the production order who the great Annabelle has uh, kept track of. This was episode 14 in the production order, although it's episode 13 in the series order in terms of how it was viewed. You know, after this episode, uh, she um, no longer, from a production standpoint, directed any more episodes of Married with Children. However, Live Nude Peg, which is uh, episode 17 was actually filmed before this episode, and that's number 17 in the order. We will see one more Amanda Burse episode before the season 11's done, but again, it was originally filmed before this one. Now, in terms of the title of this, Trash, 
it is a parody of the feature film from 1970, MASH, which was then turned into a television show between 1972 and 1983. So, I mean, here's a little bit of uh, information about it. So, MASH the movie was a film app adaptation of the original novel by Richard Hooker. The film was directed by Robert Altman and starred Donald Sutherland as Hawkeye Pierce and Elliot Gould as Trapper John McIntyre. Although the title has no punctuation on screen, so in other words, it's like it's mash and it has uh, asterisks in between each letter. That's the way it was rendered, the asterisks in between. So the TV adaptation, as I mentioned, ran from 1972 to 1983, which was more than three times as long as the actual war, which was the Korean War. And it starred Alan Alda as Hawkeye Pierce and Wayne Rogers as Trapper John McIntyre. Now, the final episode of MASH uh, was titled Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. And it was a huge media event at the time. And even though I was uh, five years old, I actually remember it, believe it or not. Uh, I did watch MASH as a kid, probably not understanding it very well. But I do remember the final, the final episode was a really big deal. And it was two and a half hours long. And the best uh, movie, right? Pretty much. And the episode got a Nielsen rating of 60.2 and a 77 share, according to a New York Times article from 1983. It had 125 million viewers. That's an insane number. Totally insane. Wow. I mean, like... We're talking, when you consider that the population of the United States was significantly smaller in 1983, 125 million viewers, that's above Super Bowl numbers. <laughs> like, that's a, right. that's, a, that's a crazy number. Has anything beat that? I don't think any uh, show finale has ever beaten MASH. I think it, it, is, it holds the record. I don't think any finale has even approached that number. 125 million viewers? I mean, we're, we're talking Super Bowl numbers. <laughs> I remember that night, the night that it aired, I feel like I was at my grandmother's house and my parents like drove home and we watched it because this was like in prime time, like I wanted to see it. Like, cause again, it was this huge media event. I mean, nobody else in my family was interested, but I do remember sitting and watching that. There's also a little urban legend about the that finale that uh, <laughs> Al Bundy would have loved, you know, if he was a real person. So the, the story is that the plumbing systems broke down in New York City because people waited until the end to use the toilet. So they said that at 11.03, so when the actual episode ended at 11 p.m., like everybody ran to the bathroom because they were holding it and then flushed the toilet all at the same time. So it was an urban legend that 77% of the people in New York City flushed their toilets at the exact same time. <laughs> but uh, they're they're part of an wow. urban, but it's part of an urban legend that goes back to um, the days of the Amos and Andy program in the 1930s. So check this out, guys. I just out of curiosity, I wanted to look up the Super Bowl ratings for 1983. I remember I said that we're talking Super Bowl numbers. Actually, I was way off. Mash crushed it, like eviscerated it. The Super Bowl in 83 had a Nielsen rating of 46.4 and had an estimated 77.62 million viewers. So MASH almost doubled it up. <laughs> I mean, 
That's amazing for any sitcom, you know, and this was before I was born. So it's hard for me to really understand how big MASH was at the time. But I've certainly heard older generations talk about it. 125 million viewers. And, you know, the population in the U.S. then was, you know, maybe 200 million people or so. 250 million or less, probably, I'm sure. Yeah, something like that. I think it was under 300. So you're talking about over half of U.S. households literally tuning into it. Wow. I never knew MASH was that big. Yeah, it's crazy big. Yeah. You know, from, from what I've seen here in the note, the PX parking lots in the military, the auditoriums and day rooms in the U.S. Army and in Korea were all tuned into it, even though there was a 14-hour time difference with the east coast of the U.S. So that's crazy. It's probably not even, you know, Nielsen ratings and such is probably not even counting service members that were deployed overseas and such. Right. I mean, that would have been, right. you know, what was aired in the U.S., right? Yeah. And again, and not even like repeats and all that. But I mean, it was a big deal. And we've talked about numbers, you know, and I've said this before. It's like, look, Married with Children in its heyday got like 20 million viewers on a normal during like its prime. I mean, right. today, a sitcom today, again, with fragmentation, you're lucky if you get 2 million. Yeah. I mean, that's considered successful. So imagine 125 million. You know, and again, you know, you have to remember in 1983, not a lot of people with cable television, not that many options on cable television. So you had to deal with, I mean, if you were in a large market, maybe you had six broadcast television stations at the time. Right. With the two girls. <laughs> right. A very different world. The other thing with MASH, you know, another little piece of information I found interesting. They had 256 episodes. And I would really classify MASH as more of a dramedy. Like that was like a, not a term that was used back then. I mean, it was considered a sitcom, but it was more of a like a comedy, which you would call like a comedy drama or a dramedy. Married with Children had three more episodes. I mean, at 259. Yeah. So, you know, put, put that into perspective. I mean, and again, and MASH is probably going to go down always as, again, probably in television history is a lot more significant in a different way than Married with Children. And by the way, just so people know, MASH stands for Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. That's actually what it depicted. <laughs> I never knew that either. <laughs> yeah, because you know, it was always took place, it's like, for people who watched MASH. And again, like I think after that finale, I probably watched MASH for a couple more years in reruns, but I stopped watching mm -hmm. it in the 80s. But it's... It was, think of it this way, in Married with Children, you have the living room and everything takes place in the living room. In MASH, it was always effectively like in surgery, like, you know, it took place in a t surgical tent. And it's like, it was the depictions of people getting shot up, you know, people getting amputated, blood transfusions, things happening with these group of doctors, you know, fighting, you know, that's in the middle of the Korean War. So that was the setup for that, you know, and you had a couple of characters you know again comedic re comedy relief and stuff but it was a big deal at the time and it's a time that will never go back it's like you know you're not going to get everybody watching the same television program i mean i don't even think like you know a presidential inauguration you know or state of the union address gets that kind of <laughs> those kind of numbers right <laughs> Especially not now <laughs> i'm not even sure let's see what i wonder what super bowl ratings are now uh, like, let's say, Super Bowl ratings in 2022, for example. What was it, Super Bowl 36? I mean, 47? What was it? No, 50-something. 
feel like uh, I just want to see. I'm just curious what the uh, $125 million back in 1983. I'm just curious what the ratings are. I mean, I know it's high. So the Nielsen ratings nationally was 36.9. Viewership was 101.1 million. <laughs> so a sitcom finale back in 1983 when the U.S. population was significantly lower than what it is now still drew more people than the Super Bowl this year. That's right. That's crazy when you think wow. about it. And again, you know, it comes down to having six stations versus having, you know, hundreds, you know, at your disposal and streaming, streaming, you know. Um, right. Able to record and stop. Exactly. Yeah. But that that is crazy to think about, to wrap your mind around that the Super Bowl this year still had less viewers than MASH did in 1983. <laughs> wow. And the theme song to MASH, I mean, most people, again, of that generation would know that theme song. The title to the theme song is called Suicide is Painless. Uh, it's a song by uh, Johnny Mandel and Michael Altman. And it was written for, originally for the film in 1970. It actually has lyrics. But uh, for the television series, it was just an instrumental. So I don't know if, if either of you ever heard that, but uh, it's a very... Uh, yeah. It's, it's, a little, it's, it's a little disturbing, right? <laughs> yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, it's very, it's very. Are oh, you talking about the uh, the one with the words or the, just the instrumental? No, the the one with the words. Oh yeah, no, I never heard. It. I just heard the instrumental. It was very somber. That's why I never watched it. I always thought it was something sad. So I used to always turn it as a kid. <laughs> I never watched it. I just played it on YouTube, you know, before like we were putting the notes together, like I play it and uh, up on YouTube, it says, well, uh, it's like, here's a number, like if you're thinking of committing suicide. So I guess uh, <laughs> YouTube really takes it seriously. Yeah, I've heard just the instrumental. I've never heard the one with words. You can maybe listen to it. Yeah. I need to watch MASH. I remember it coming on when I was a kid, and I always would change the channel because I didn't really get it. But, you know, I was 8, 9, 10 years old. I need to watch it. I'd right. probably like it a lot better as an adult. Now, one of the things interesting, one of the reasons why I mentioned the song, was that the director, I mean, Johnny Mandel wrote the music to it. And the lyrics were written by a 15-year-old named Michael who is the director Robert Altman's son. And you know, according to Wikipedia, Altman tried to write the lyrics, but he found it too difficult for his 45-year-old brain to write something stupid. It's like he wanted it to be a stupid song, so the lyrics are a little nonsensical. So he gave, the, gave it the, the task to his 15-year-old son to write it. He wrote it in 15 minutes. That said, Robert Altman, the director, got made $70,000 for directing the movie, yet his son earned a million dollars for co-writing the song. Oh, wow. Uh, go figure. Yeah. I know, right? It was my, uh, my dad set me up like that. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm sure you have paid off the, the replay of it too, right? When it's on TV? Absolutely. You would think so? Yeah, wow. Yeah. I mean, like again, from what I understand, it was, I think it entered like the, um, well, interestingly, it says it became a number one hit on the UK singles chart in May 1980. And it was ranked number 66 of AFI's 100 Years, 100 Songs. So there is something to be said about it. Again, being a movie song. So there you go. I'm listening to that. I'm listening to that today when we do it the park, uh, with the podcast. I can see what it sounds like. So let's get started. So we open with Alan Kelly in the living room. And uh, Kelly says that something really stinks. 
And uh, Bud mentions that they are watching Fox. You know, something really stinks in here. We are watching Fox. (laughs) (laughs) The Fox jokes are heavy this season, aren't they? (laughs) Very heavy. I guess they knew it was about over. (laughs) Al, did you take out the trash? I'll take it out when there's enough for a whole load. (laughs) Okay. I know you people are used to living in a cesspool, so you're probably not even bothered by this garbage strike. Wait a minute. How can trash go on strike? Hang up your fishnets and stay in all night. (laughs) But, on behalf of the entire neighborhood, I demand that you do something to improve the look of things around here. (laughs) Now I've done my part. Marcy is absolutely right. We have to get together about getting rid of this garbage. Now, I'll hand you the bags. You throw them over in the Darcy's yard. <laughs> now, one of the things that's, that's interesting is, like, Al's wearing his Polk High jersey, right? Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, he's just hanging out on the couch wearing his Polk High jersey. <laughs> right, I didn't get that. I was like, why he just, I didn't know why he was doing it. Right, I mean, which is weird. Usually when he wears that Polk High jersey, like when he wants to play football or something like that. So yeah. it's just like he's like hanging around. Yeah, usually it's like a special event or something going on. Marcy walks in and she says, uh, talks about sort of the smell, and we find out that there's a garbage strike. Now, Marcy says, you know, in terms of improving the look of things around here, you know, Al puts the garbage bag on her head and escorts her out of the house. <laughs> And now we have a setup so that, you know, effectively the B-plot of this episode is Kelly and Bud, you know, depositing all their trash into the Darcy's yard. <laughs> all right. And so now we go right. to the opening credits of Love and Marriage. Do these cold openings, does it throw you guys off at all with the show? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of takes me out of it a little bit. I don't, I don't know. Lou, when you watch season 11, I mean, I guess the first time you saw season 11, like, I mean, I did it throw you off? Like, say, hey, wait a minute. Like, where's the music? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was young, I watched all these uh, growing up as they was as they was on. Of course, we didn't know it was going to be the last season at the time. And I used to, it used to just come on. And I knew, I automatically knew it was different. Even at, uh, what was this, 1998, 97? Yeah, 96, 97. Yeah, so I was about 10, 11. I was like, it was just weird. It was off to me. Like, you know, that show, we hear that, that downbeat of that uh, the love and marriage, that trombone or wherever that is, it gets you in the mood. But he, now you just open up to him just sitting on the couch. I'm like, uh, it, it threw me off. It always threw me off. So we opened with Alan Griff on the couch. Go! 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 Oh, man! These guys don't hustle! Lazy bums. <laughs> bums is right. <laughs> uh, can you hand me that beer? <laughs> Can't reach. 
And uh, they don't even want to move to get a can of beer on the get beer off of the coffee table. There's some truth to that, man. When I'm relaxing on the couch, <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but man, when I'm chilling, oh, like I yeah. get lazy. I don't want to get up to do anything. I don't want to even reach for the. <laughs> it's just like I'm just laying here relaxing, man. When my daughter be over here. I, I call her and just come get, grab something that's right across from me, but <laughs> she go get it. <laughs> kind of like how, uh, I don't know if your parents used to do that, make you change the TV when the remote was going or broke. Absolutely, yeah. when you're out of batteries. <laughs> yeah. Out of a battery, use yeah, a child. <laughs> yeah, I get it. In comes uh, GI Joke. That's in. Hut. As you were, you are looking at Second Lieutenant Darcy, National Guard Reserves. More like GI Joke. <laughs> Hey, this action figure is anatomically correct. <laughs> After living with Marcy all these years, I doubt it. What's the scam? No scam. I just say goodbye to Marcy. There's the, the scam. scam. <laughs> in an untailored suit. So now we're led to believe that Jefferson is a, a second lieutenant in the National Guard Reserves. And it's like, when the hell did this happen? <laughs> yeah, the guy, that, the, the guy that's too lazy, the guy that's too lazy to uh, do anything, even get a part-time job, is going to make it through a ten-week-long boot camp. <laughs> Although, I, I guess you know, I thought about this. I guess you could say he might have gotten some sort of hookup with his connections. You know, <laughs> we know he was a former spy and, and whatnot. So, you know, maybe he had some sort of connection, but. <laughs> yeah and you know like i said but it's like the setup on this i mean you know before like you know i mean just getting into this uh you know and chris we've already said this for the episodes that we reviewed this this uh season including i think all of our co-hosts on the episodes that they've reviewed i mean there is no semblance of reality anymore this is just a cartoon i mean this is the simpsons without yeah. being animated yeah, live action The Simpsons. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was thinking that. Didn't, didn't they have an episode where uh, Homer and all them went to the um, reserves or something too? And they, and, uh, they was doing the, um, the the March thing song too with Skinner. I remember that. I, I I can't quote The Simpsons. I know like somebody like Tyler might, but I mean, but you're right, Lou. I mean, what a, the whole point here is, <laughs> I mean. You have to suspend complete disbelief. You've almost, this is a completely different show than it was even last season. Yeah. So you have to effectively suspend all of it and just see it for what it is. I mean, I mean, you know, our founder, the podcast founder, Alex, you know, always tried to bring some semblance of reality to try to ground, you know, you know, the reviews. (laughs) But I mean, at this point, just throw it out the window, right? Hey, it's a great deal. One weekend out of every month, you get three hots in a cot, you get to party with a bunch of guys, and you get paid. Sounds like my ex-wife's job. (laughs) You mean Uncle Sam will pay me to leave Peg and the kids for the weekend? Well, you have to go through uh, basic training first, but you don't have to go to your regular job, and your boss still has to pay you. I am suddenly feeling the need to serve my country. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. Aren't we too old to join the reserve? You're pretty much too old for everything. (laughs) With my connections, I think I can get you in. 
The other thing is, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room, I guess you could say, they even mention it, is they're all too old to enlist. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, mean, the, uh, I, I just looked it up because I wasn't sure. Well, I was 18 when I joined. The age limit is, is 35. Now, I can tell you that there there are some exemptions for that, but you have to have a skill set that's highly needed for the military. For example, if the military needs brain surgeons, <laughs> they're going to let you in even though you're 45. <laughs> or if, you know, if you're a, a scientist of some sort and they really need scientists for the military, they're going to let you in even though you're 45. But you have to have a highly uh, needed skill set, which obviously Al Jefferson and Griff do not have. <laughs> so the, the idea, I mean, because how old is Al now? About 45-ish, something like, or about 40... 243, somewhere around in there? Well, actually, I mean, if Al was born in 1948, you know, his uh, birth date is November uh, 7th or 8th, you know, 1948, according to his driver's license. Okay. You know, he is close <laughs> close to 50. All right, yeah, so he's close to 50, yeah. So the idea of, of these three joining at their ages is totally, like you said, you have to suspend all belief. I mean, hell, you know, I, I did for you. They wouldn't even let me in now unless we are like if, you know, if the if the U.S. were under attack here in the mainland, they would take just about anybody. But under normal, reasonable conditions, they wouldn't even let me back in. And I'm 37. <laughs> you know, oh, wow. the idea of Al joining it at almost 50 is like you said, you have you have to suspend belief. Now, for the fans of the podcast who are outside the United States, I mean, maybe they don't understand what the National Guard is. So, Chris, you want to tell us more about the National Guard? Absolutely. So the United States National Guard is part of the reserve components of the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force. It is a military reserve force composed of National Guard military members of units of each state and the territories of Guam, the Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, and the District of Columbia for a total of 54 separate organizations. All members of the National Guard of the United States are also members of the militia of the U.S. National Guard units are under the dual control of the state governments and the federal government. Yeah, and, and you know, this is like one of the, the interesting, weird things about the United States. So the National Guard technically is really a state guard right. you know, un under the control of the governor, unless there's like an emergency and it's then federalized when it's then right. under the control of the president. 99% of the time, it's under the control of the state governor. Yeah. And, you know, the, and again, we're suspending disbelief here, but the idea of a, a National Guard being activated for a trash strike is kind of ludicrous. I mean, <laughs> unless the, the striking uh, garbage men were like burning the city down or something, because the, uh, National Guard are usually deployed for flooding, wildfires, tornadoes, civil unrest, which I guess I suppose you had a little bit of civil unrest in this episode, but but not to the point where they would deploy a National Guard right. <laughs> over a trash strike. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Griff calls Jefferson G.I. Joke. So, uh... yeah. So G.I. Joe is a line of action figures owned and produced by the toy company Hasbro. The initial product offering represented four of the branches of the United States Armed Forces with Action Soldier for the Army, Action Sailor for the U.S. Navy, Action Pilot for the U.S. Air Force, Action Marine for the U.S. Marine Corps, and later on, the Action Nurse. 
The original 12-inch line introduced on February 2, 1964, centered on realistic action figures. In 1982, the line was relaunched in a 3.75-inch scale, complete with vehicles, playsets, and complex background story involving ongoing struggle between the G.I. Joe team and the evil Cobra Command, which seeks to take over the free world through terrorism. As the American line evolved into the real American Hero series, Action Man also changed by using the same molds and being renamed as Action Force. Although the members of the G.I. Joe team are not superheroes, they all had expertise in areas such as martial arts, weapons, and explosives. A famous cartoon series of it ran from 1983 to 1986. Yeah, I mean, and you guys watch that back in the day or in reruns? I think I probably saw some reruns. I mean, in 1986, I was three, so. <laughs> or actually, no, I'm sorry. I, my, my math is bad. I was two in 1986. I don't even know my birthday. <laughs> what about you, Lou? I used to catch it here and there. I wasn't a big fan. I was more into Ninja Turtles. Yeah, okay. So I used to watch the Ninja Turtles all the time. And I was born in 86, so I used to see the rerun. I think they used to all come on together. Like, it used to be like He-Man and Ninja Turtles and transformers and the uh, gi joe all together and it's it, it like i couldn't get all the way into it i used to catch it but I, it, was, it was all right yeah no i mean i that was sort of during my time period again i'm a few years older than you guys so yeah i mean i remember it i've watched it exclusively they had a couple of uh crossovers i think with like the wwf back then like sergeant slaughter he was one of like the characters and I, I remember it now but the, the term G.I. Joe if I'm not mistaken began really in World War II that was like a term that was used for like soldiers like a regular Joe or G.I. Joe right then eventually that when they came out with the toy series in 1964 then that was it became sort of associated with the with the action figures and if you notice it it's like a 20 years thing like it's like you know, it was it was a term in World War II. Twenty years later, it's an action figure, and then it's like another nostalgia wave. Twenty years after that, it's like then that was the heyday of GI Joe back in the eighties. Yeah, that was action figures and right. cartoons and all that. So you know, that's uh, again cult- cultural references. And this one is is heavy. This episode is very heavy in um, in cultural references. I, I do for some reason remember that you know I, was I remember the G.I. Joe with the WWF with the Sergeant Slaughter and I remember um, like I said I was in the Ninja Turtles they had a crossover too where they all they dressed up all the turtles as uh, army army guys and they had the G.I. Joe logo on a toy pack yep. they did that with them too <laughs> hey you know um, uh, I actually met Sergeant Slaughter last year I was uh, I did some volunteer work at a sports convention and he was there bunch of the old wrestlers were there, including him. Interesting. I bet that was yeah. cool. Big guy yeah. in person. Yeah, he's big. It was, he was there. Uh, God, I can't even remember now. Ric Flair, Lex Luger, a handful of the he's women, the f- female female wrestlers were there. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, but that was cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. So Alan Griff want to find out what's going on with Jefferson's scam. Now that's the kind of fighting spirit we're looking for. We'll be the few, the proud. We'll be the best that we can be. Uh, (laughs) No, guys, the uh, National Guard's motto is, if it happens on a weekend, we'll be there. (laughs) Uh, So he says, you know, one weekend out of the month, you get three hots and a cot. 
and you get to party with a bunch of guys and get paid. And uh, Griff says that it sounds like his ex-wife's job. (laughs) (laughs) When I find out that he gets paid for just for leaving Peg and the kids for the weekend, he seems to be uh, very uh, happy to, to join along and, Jefferson with his quote unquote connections. And, you know, you're right about that, Chris, you know, probably, you know, we, we learned about that, uh, this, uh, season in, um, the yeah, Requiem for a Chevy weight in terms of, uh, Jefferson's ties to the CIA. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, you know, he can get him in. So <laughs> we'll be the few, the proud. And that was the phrase back in the 80s and 90s for the Marines, right? The few and the proud of the Marines, and that will be the best we can be, that's the Army. But Jefferson says, no, the National Guard's motto is, if it happens on a weekend, we'll be there. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what's funny? Uh, it's funny that he says that because there's a, there's a term that I guess I could say regular Army refers to us as, and it's weekend warriors. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that that, that term, uh, that phrase was not used in this episode because uh, regular Army and Marines, Air Force, Navy and such, they refer to as National Guard and Reserves as weekend warriors. Right. <laughs> and it's eh, kind of derogatory, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just playful jabbing. I mean, all the branches of the military, you know, the, they call the Air Force the chair force. You know, they call the Marines, they call them the jarheads, you know, and so on and so forth. But for us, it's the weekend warriors. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> so now we cut to what appears to be an army barracks, right? With mm-hmm. uh, uh, a dormitory and they're playing uh, touch football. I'm open! I'm open! Top bunks versus bottom bunks now. Uh, Al, I think it may be time to hit the hay. What, are you old? Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, man. This pillow is lumpy. At least it doesn't have red hair and beg for sex. <laughs> oh, man, this is the life. <sighs> now, Al got eight touchdowns. When Al is playing, you know, football, right, with the guys in the in that little dormitory, I mean, when you look at all of them, you know, I guess they had to get guys who were older and out of shape. Yeah. I, I mean, like, they obviously didn't have – it's not like Al was standing next to, like, Aaron. <laughs> I noted that in my notes, too. I was like, you know, although that barracks setup looks pretty good, the guys in that room look nothing like the guys that were in my basic training. <laughs> right. We're all a bunch of skinny little – Skinny little 150-pound, 18-year-olds. We were all bald because they, they shave you bald. <laughs> Everybody oh. shaves their head bald in basic. Well, they don't have to uh, shave you now, Chris. Yeah, they, that's one thing. If they let me back in now, they wouldn't have to shave me. But those guys look nothing like the guys I went to basic with. It, it was, for the most part, the, most people were somewhere between the ages of 18 and about 23, 24. You had a few guys in their late 20s, and maybe a 30-year-old here and there, but 95% of the people were under the age of 23, 24 years old. <laughs> it's all young kids, basically, you know? Right. And that, and that makes sense. So I got to point a few things out here. The setup of the barracks is mostly correct. I got to give them a lot of credit for that. 
I can tell they either had a consultant help them out or they had someone that's worked on a military show or movie or someone because that looks almost exactly like my barracks for basic training. The, the most glaring and obvious thing here is is um, the fact that they're playing football in basic training. <laughs> if, if you got caught with a football in basic training, you would be PT'd until you were dead. Like, I mean, you would be in so much trouble, I can't even begin to tell you. When, when you go to basic, you have a list of things that you're allowed to bring with you. If it's not on that list, if you're caught with it, you're in big trouble. <laughs> and obviously a football wouldn't be on that, so... They would be in huge trouble. And then the other, the other kind of goofy thing that they that I notice is, a couple of them are not wearing the same uniform. Like they're they're wearing their fatigues, as we call them, or their combat uniform. But a couple of them are running around in their boxers and stuff like that. One of the big things that they're big on in basic and AIT, which is where you go after basic, is a, a, a term called dress right dress, and that means the way one person is dressed. Everybody has to be dressed that way, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Whether you're marching, you know, doing drill and ceremony, or if you're at the range shooting, even sleeping. We slept in our PT uniform every night. That was just shorts and a t-shirt. Everybody has to be wearing the exact same thing, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Even your socks and underwear. Because when you go there, you uh, you get military-issued socks and underwear. Everybody wears the same thing, 24-7, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. So like if their if their drill instructor came in there and there was two guys wearing their boxers and everybody else was in uh, their fatigues, everybody would be in trouble. <laughs> everybody would be uh, doing push-ups and running until they were sick, basically. But yeah, that football thing that that bothered me. I'm like, no, nah, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> they... Hey Lou, out, out of curiosity, do you think you would be able to survive in that kind of environment? No, I don't know if I could take the yelling at me or. <laughs> it's, 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 I like structure. All right. I think that's a little too much structure for me. Rise and shine, ladies! <laughs> Hope you had a good night's sleep. Because your nightmare begins now. Do you hear me? Sir, yes, sir! Oh. <laughs> Am I disturbing you, Private? Uh, Al Bundy. Al Bundy, sir! Well, no one's called me sir in a long, long time. How about moron? They've called you that, haven't they? Sir, yes, sir. <laughs> Lady shoe salesman. Well, you're in the reserve now. In principle, this scene looks right. Uh, that yellow line that you see going around, I think it was yellow, right? That What they're doing there when he walks in and says, uh, everybody wake up, what they're doing is called towing the line. And what that means is normally this, at least for us, it was done at the end of the day. You're, you're usually getting inspected. You know, they're checking your locker, checking your bed to make sure you got your military corners down correct, making sure nobody has any anything they're not supposed to do, usually getting yelled at over something stupid, <laughs> and then you go to bed. <laughs> normally, normally, toe the line is done at the end of the day. And the other thing is, like, at least when I went to basic, no one wakes you up. You got to wake yourself up. Like first formation might be 4 a.m., for example. If first formation is at 4 a.m., you got to be there at 3.50. <laughs> you got to be 10 minutes wow. early. And if everybody is not 100% in formation, standing at the position of attention 10 minutes early, everybody's late. 
Nobody, nobody comes wow. in and wakes you up. You got to wake your your own butt up, you know. <laughs> and I, I assume, I assume, if somebody doesn't wake up, like you know, somebody in your company doesn't wake up, you kick the shit out of them, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like all the goofing around and stuff. Uh, whenever, uh, like all the goofing around that uh, and smarting off Al, uh, Al was doing there. As soon as the drill sergeant left the room, everybody else would have kicked his ass because <laughs> they would have they, they would have all been in huge trouble all that. But again, this is a this is a show, you know what I mean? But but yeah, the whole thing, the, the biggest thing that gets everybody in trouble and basic. I mean, there's a lot of things, but the biggest thing is having everybody on time in the correct uniform 100 percent of the time, because if you have a company of 100 people, if 99 people are correct on time in the right uniform and one person is is late everybody's late and everybody gets punished so it's either a hundred percent or zero percent when i was uh graduating high school actually the military wanted to recruit me planned on studying engineering and actually a great engineering college is west point and uh you know they they tried to recruit me and remember like they'd be calling my parents' house, you know, I mean like every other night. I mean, I have these military people calling me. It's like, hey, you know, why don't you come, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, explain to me how it works. It's like, well, you got to do basic training and this and that. And I'm like, you want me to wake up at what, five o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> to uh, to trudge around a field? Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what's yeah. funny is the first two or three weeks, so Basic training was 10 weeks long, and then you have AIT, which was nine weeks long. But the first two or three weeks of basic was like complete hell. Like, I hated it. But it, it, And I know this is going to sound cliche and, and going to sound like I'm just feeding you BS, but you really start to enjoy it. Around, around week three and a half or four, you get completely settled in and, and used to it, and you start actually enjoying it. And by the midway point, you're actually kind of having fun. And I, I remember like my last week of basic, it was kind of sad. I was like, oh, man, we're coming down to the end here, you know. And of course, once you're done with it, you're like, all right, well, I'm glad that's over, you know. But you actually do kind of start enjoying it. You develop a little bit of a brotherhood. You know, I was like, I mean, I I did it almost 20 years ago now. And I still have a few people that I'm still in touch with today, you know, from my basic training. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Question for you. Mm-hmm. I know you said you guys when you started being slim, uh, real small, young guys. But a lot of when do when do they when do they start bulking up? Because a lot of guys I see they be real like muscular. <laughs> like, at what point with that with that uh, training schedule and how you eat do they start bulking up like that? Well, you know what's funny? That's that's a good question. Most of the people, of course, there's always exceptions to everything, but uh, every rule. But most of the people are either a you know skinny little 150, 160 pound guys, or they're overweight guys. You know, I remember there was a guy in my basic training. God, I can't even remember his name now. But anyways, he was a hefty guy. He was pretty big. He was not and not in a good way. And I remember our platoon sergeant saying, I promise you, you're going to lose 40 pounds by the end of basic. And he did. <laughs> he lost all that weight. He lost all the weight. From, you know, just just all the PTing every day and, you know, you don't eat a lot. <laughs> the food is not great. You know, we we called it slop. You know, I mean, although I'll, I'll say the breakfast was pretty good, but the lunch and dinner was slop, basically. Uh, yeah, you, you put on, you know, you do you bulk up. I, I mean, I actually feel like I, I if I remember right, I think I gained a little bit of weight, you know, my chest and arms and things like that. 
But most people put on the serious weight after basic and AIT when they're able to go to the gym and pump iron and things like that. The, you're not going to put on a ton of weight in basic just because you eat so little and you you train and run so much. Well, I guess, uh, you know, later okay. on, Al has a line. He says that, you know, you're trained to fo- follow orders and eat crap. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess there's some truth to that. <laughs> so huh? That was accurate. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally right. You know, we... The, the meals there, typically you're going to have three or four or five minutes to eat. So you're just slopping it down. And you usually got someone yelling at you the whole time, on, eat your fucking slop, let's go. So you're just slopping it down. You got to slop it down and you got to go get uh, get back in formation at the position of attention to get yelled at some more. <laughs> so, so I was really like that. I thought that was just movies and shows. There's no time to gain weight. <laughs> well, when we interviewed Harold Sylvester, we asked him questions. One of the questions was about an officer and gentleman. Now, one of the things uh, I do want to point out about this episode, even though the episode is a, is a parody on MASH, there are a lot of parallels with the movie An Officer and a Gentleman. And we'll talk about them as we go along. He did say that um, when they were filming, you know, Louis Gossett Jr., who plays the drill instructor was kept separate from the rest of the actors so that the first time that they see him is when they're filming the scenes when, like, they're arriving, I guess, at boot camp, right? And he said that it was really a shock to him because he was friends with him in, um, I guess, back in Los Angeles. And, like, you know, he felt like, you know, it felt real to him. So it's like the scenes that they were filming, it felt really real. And I believe... um, uh, Louis Gossett Jr., did he get like a, an Oscar or something? Like he got an I know, Academy Award, right? For, for, for the that film. For the film. Uh, yeah, for his first portrayal in that film. I think so. Let me look that up. I'm about to look. That was one of the things I remember from the interview with Harold. Yeah, I remember him saying something like that too. So he got the Best Supporting Actor for Motion Picture. Okay. The Golden Globe. And the, and the Academy Award. And the Academy Award. So... Uh, which is the Oscar, right? So he did get that and a Golden, Golden Globe. This movie had a production budget of uh, $6 million and made uh, $190 million. That's a hell of a uh, <laughs> hell of a return. Right. Uh, yeah, I, never seen, I thought I'd seen it. I think my mom used to watch it and I wasn't watching it. Cause I, in my mind, I've seen this movie, but I don't think I've seen it. Not with Richard Gere. I remember him. Yeah, uh, let me see. Say, I'm looking for the... Uh... Yeah, and actually what I'm reading here is Louis Gossett Jr. was the first African-American actor to win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Okay, Best Supporting. And okay. the fourth African-American Oscar winner overall. You know, after oh, Hayden McDaniel, uh... Sidney Poitier, and Isaac Hayes. Yeah, so I remember, like again, I remember that, I remember that from Harold's uh, interview. Okay, I'm going to have to watch this. So in comes a drill sergeant, and the drill sergeant is played by J.J. Uh, Johnston. You're not in some candy-ass mall! You haven't seen my customers every day. It's the Battle of the Bulge, right, Griff? Who, who's Griff? Somebody here called Griff? Grab <laughs> it, give me 50, mall scum! All I got here is this five! <laughs> Push up, you idiot! <laughs> and your little buddy's here, too! Now, I had this conversation with Annabelle because J.J. Johnston is someone who has appeared many times on Married with Children. And I did like a little bit of my own research. And I believe, 
and you know, with Annabelle's blessing, right? That I'm correct. That he is the the one actor who appeared on Married with Children, who never played the same character each time he appeared on Married with Children, and he has a total of five appearances. The first one was Where's the Boss back in season one. On Where's the Boss, he played Happy. Second appearance was Luck of the Bundies in 1993, where he played a character named Louie. In No Pot to Pizen, he was the security guard, and that was in 1994. So that was the one who said, like, Piscopo again, right? (laughs) (laughs) That was him. Then we have uh, The Hood, The Bud, and The Kelly, where he plays, like, a really bad imitation of a, a mafia hitman. And the character was named BB. And in this one, he's the drill instructor. So, again. That was him, too? Yep. That's the... Yeah, uh, he's a good character actor. Yeah, the the same guy. And from what I understand, J.J. Johnston is good friends with Ed O'Neill. So, that's uh, one of the ties there. Now, Al makes a line about, you know, as he's being berated by the drill instructor. This is where every day it's the Battle of the Bulge, right? (laughs) The Battle of the Bulge, also known as the Ardennes Counteroffensive, was the last major German offensive campaign on the Western Front during World War II and took place from from the 16th of December 1944 to the 25th of January 1945. It was launched through the densely forested Ardennes region of Wallonia and eastern Belgium, northeast France, and Luxembourg towards the end of the war in Europe. The offensive was was intended to stop Allied use of the Belgian port of Antwerp and to split the Allied lines, allowing the Germans to encircle and destroy four Allied armies and to force the Western Allies to negotiate a peace treaty in the Axis powers' favor. But they're talking about bulging waistlines instead at the shoe store. Yeah. Now, (laughs) let me ask you this, Chris. Uh, So... Mm -hmm. It's interesting, like, uh, Al calls over to Griff, and Griff is like, who's Griff? It's like, somebody called Griff, right? right. <laughs> so, so I'm assuming that stuff like that happened, I guess, when somebody got in trouble? In it, <laughs> this whole scene, we, we could literally do a whole uh, podcast just on it, but uh, they would have all gotten in trouble just, just for him calling Griff by his first name. <laughs> Griff would pretend like he didn't know him, though. <laughs> Without acting like that. <laughs> I mean, did you think when he says drop and give me 50 that, you know, like Al sort of pulls out a five? I mean, did you see that coming? No, that was funny. <laughs> so now we go back to the kitchen. Okay. Top 10 reasons we're glad your father has gone to boot camp. Okay. Mm. Number 10, your father's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number nine, he took his socks with him. <laughs> Number eight, we don't have to hide the food. Good. Number seven, the drains flow free. I think you know why I'm here. All the flies in the neighborhood have named you queen? Peggy. This is just some of the garbage your obnoxious children have dumped in my yard. How dare you accuse my obnoxious children? (laughs) There's no way that you can prove that that's our garbage. Ah. Color Me Cheetos by Clara. (laughs) Go, dog, go. (laughs) 
I can't believe you threw this out. I haven't even finished it yet, but... <clears throat> Bunch of dogs, big party, nothing happens at the end. <laughs> Sounds like one of your dates. <laughs> okay, you have two choices. I can either bury you headfirst in my compost heap, or you can come with me and pick up every piece of garbage that you have dumped in my yard. You mean since the garbage strike or since you moved in? <laughs> so we have uh, Peg, Kelly, and Bud. And they're doing like their top ten. So they're doing like a Letterman piece right here, right? <laughs> that's interesting. And that's probably a question for like Larry Jacobson. Chris, if we ever get to interview him, you remember he was one of the staff writers for Letterman. So I'd be curious to like, I assume anytime that they've done top tens, Unmarried with children, they might have been influenced by him, although he was gone by this point in time. Anyway, so in comes uh, Marcy, and she accuses the Bundy kids of throwing garbage into her lawn. She pulls out a Color Me Cheetahs by Clarol. <laughs> Peg seems to hang her head in shame. And then the book Go Dog Go. <laughs> <laughs> So Clarol is an American personal care product division of the company Coty, specializing in hair coloring and hair care that was begun in 1931 by Americans Joan Gelb and her husband, Lawrence M. Gelb, along with business partner and lifelong friends, James Romeo, after discovering hair coloring preparations while traveling in France. The company was widely recognized in its home country, the United States, for its Miss Clarol home hair coloring kit introduced in 1956. And by 1959, it was considered the leading company in the U.S. hair coloring industry. And in 20, 2004, it registered annual sales worth about $1.6 billion for hair care products. And as of 2014, its products are sold under the brands of Natural Instincts, Nice and Easy, and Perfect Lights. Man, I didn't know that was a real thing when they said yeah. it. Yeah, well, I think Color Me Cheetah, because remember, Peg usually dresses up in Cheetah. Outfits, so I guess that's the reason why they uh, they did that. Go Dog Go is a 1961 children's book written and illustrated by P.D. Eastman. It describes the actions and interactions of a group of highly mobile dogs who operate cars and other conveyances in pursuit of work, play, and a final mysterious goal, a dog party. That's why I'm not familiar with <laughs> And like I said, and this is just like, you know, these little like throwaway, you know, I'm not going to call them throwaway scenes, but it's like we need to give them something to do with this garbage strike. Although it does sort of tie it together. I mean, like they did sort of have the storyline sort of converge. But yeah. uh, I mean, again, it was like this Looney Tunes uh, setup that they did. Anyway, so when they're in the kitchen with Peggy, I mean, you notice all the food, like who the hell cooked all that food? <laughs> right. And right. it's not like it's not like you you don't make a lot of money in the National Guard. I mean, you don't make a lot of money in the military period when you're a private, but you sure as hell don't when you're in the in the National Guard. So it's like they make it look like he's making a ton of money for enough for them to eat. That's but you know what they said is like the like this is you don't have to hide the food, but it's like where the hell did the food come from? Right. <laughs> All right. How long they been hiding it? Yeah, right. you know, I mean, again, I mean, now there have been instances. Remember when they had the refrigerator in the in the garage that they were hiding? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for the, yeah, yeah, Because, uh, like, when No Ma'am was, that was the uh, Ironhead Haynes episode, right? If I'm, right. If I'm not mistaken. 
Uh, well, yeah, yeah, with the with the refrigerator strapped to the door, right? Yep. I mean, uh, not the refrigerator, the mattress. Correct. Strapped to the door. That's right. <laughs> uh, we go back to the camp, and now the drill sergeant has the this ragtag group of. Uh, you know, overweight, middle-aged guys uh, chanting. You're not worthy of the God! We're not worthy of the God! You're out of shape with butts of lard! We're out of shape with butts of lard! I cough three, four. I cough with sore. <laughs> now, what, now, what would you call that, Chris? Like, when, when, they're, when they're singing? Well, what they're doing there is called drill and ceremony. So you you do a, you're going to do a ton of that in basic training. I mean you you march everywhere. Sometimes you run because it looks like I guess they're 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 supposed to be running there, but it's called drill and ceremony. I didn't realize it had a name. Yeah, you you yeah, do that. <laughs> you're going to be sick of it by the end because you march everywhere. Like <laughs> occasionally you get in the you well yeah you pretty much march everywhere. I mean hell even when you go to the range and stuff if it's Five miles away, you march there with your weapons and your rucksack. Wow! <laughs> Is there a reason for the chanting? Like, what, what's the reason for the the the, uh, the song? I, I think uh, there's a number of reasons that they do that to just for first first of all for military discipline and also to keep the morale up and things like that. Because you're going through a lot okay. of um, you know you're living in a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for austere environment. You know you're getting you're getting up very early. You're going to be up late you're going to be up all day on your feet a lot doing a lot of physical activity uh you're not really going to i mean you're not going to be doing any fun activities I and mean, you know that you do some team building things and such which build your team up but really it's all about discipline and morale I swear, you two are slower than snails and molasses. That's a good one. Come from a guy whose girlfriend starred in Babe. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> So now we have this uh, Southerner who says, uh, you know, again, a guy with a Southern accent. He says, you guys are too, too slow than snails and molasses. And Al says, that's good. One from a guy whose girlfriend starred in Babe. (laughs) Now, one of the things that the great Annabelle has pointed out to us. So, I mean, for, for some of you who like follow some of the information that's out on the Internet. So there's a Married with Children wiki page, right? And, uh, and one of the things we're, refer- you know, we're referencing as we go along, the working title of this episode is, was called An Officer and a Garbage Man, which is, again, a pun on an officer and a gentleman, but I think they thought trash was better. Now, the question is, Annabelle put that in the notes, and I also see it in the wiki page, so which came first? The answer is Annabelle, because usually uh, the wiki page referred heavily to Bundyology, and a lot of the information on Bundyology came from Annabelle. So, wow. uh, so uh, I'm going to have to go with Annabelle's note on this. Now, there's a character of uh, Sid Worley in An Officer and a Gentleman who is he was originally from Oklahoma. So, again, Stephen Scott, you know, reference there. And he speaks with a Southern drawl. And he's accused by Sergeant Foley of having sex with animals and being gay. So most likely this was a, a reference to that. I mean, again, it's a throwaway joke, but the movie Babe uh, had just come out uh, recently, a few years earlier. So that was, again, a cultural reference to that movie. 
and Babe came out in 1995, and it was a comedy drama directed by Chris Noonan, produced by George Miller, written by both, narrated by Roscoe Lee Brown, and starring James Cromwell and Magna Zubaneski, with the voices of Christine Cavanaugh, Miriam Margolis, Hugo Weaving, and Danny Mann. It's an adaptation of Dick King Smith's 1983 novel, The Sheep Pig, also known as Babe, the gallant pig in the U.S., which tells the story of a pig raised as livestock who wants to do the work of a sheepdog. Uh, the main, main animal characters are played by a combination of real and animatronic pigs and border collies. <laughs> uh, I can't say that I watched it. it. It didn't look like a film that appealed to me. I, I like bacon, uh, so uh, I probably would have been craving some food if I watched the film. <laughs> I, I saw that movie. I mean, I was yeah, I was still eleven years old then, so I, it was that was a decent movie. It's goofy and corny. It has James Cromwell in it. He's a good actor. He's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, I tried to watch it uh, when I was young. It just didn't. I, I it sticks to me. So I was like, it was like one of the movies that was on, but you're not watching it. Now, this scene with the wall is also another scene that's parodying something that's in a scene that's in an officer and a gentleman. <laughs> Ah, Griff! I can't take it anymore. I quit. Ah, you can't quit. If you quit, you gotta go home. <laughs> hey, wait a minute! <laughs> <laughs> Climb this wall? Sure you can, buddy. Don't quit. Let me show you how it's done. It can't be done. So think about it. It's like Harold Sylvester was in that film. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, about... And that movie came out in 82, so let's say they shot it in 81... This is now 1997. It's airing. It's probably filmed in late 1996. So 15 years later, he's doing a parody of himself of, of stuff that he did in a movie 15 <laughs> years earlier. Right? Yeah. But again, and these are all like these little military scenes, right? Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny when it's like you know Al's trying to do the obstacle course, right? And it's like his motivation to not go home is he's got a picture of Peg in the hat, right? So he looks at it. So then he's <laughs> he's going underneath. <laughs> I mean, and you, you knew that. You knew that was coming too. You know. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. You're like at this point, you've been watching it. You already know it's gonna happen, but it's still funny. Nobody can possibly use skills like that. Running through tires, waving your arms up in the air. It's like screaming, "Shoot me! Shoot me!" Don't cut face, you boy. <laughs> sir, good afternoon, sir. And might I add, your medals are particularly shiny today, sir. Why are you sucking up to this guy? <laughs> Oh, I get it. So I heal. Are you gonna finish this course or not? Can't, sir. Tired, sir. And let me help you rest. <laughs> so what do you think, Chris, when the drill sergeant, you know, sort of tackles Al? <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't 
they, by the time I was in, they weren't allowed to do stuff like that anymore. I've heard of stuff like that in the past, but you know, I don't know how much of it actually went on. Who knows? It was funny. You you think that was him or a stunt? That was him, wasn't it? When the stunt. Oh, double. that was that was definitely a stunt. Devil. I yeah. mean the. I mean, him. It was Ed O'Neill getting up, you know, or you know, before. But that was definitely a stunt guy that he threw over his shoulder. That's a great point that you make, Lou. You know, later on, mm-hmm. you know, like when you get to the scene where, like, Al looks like he's lifting up the garbage dumpster. Mm-hmm. I was gonna bring that up. Uh, I wonder if you think what I'm thinking. Yeah, the thing <laughs> is, is that he, that thing doesn't move. So obviously, he's just mo- lifting his body up. And I think the reason why is that you can't use a stump double for a frontal shot, number one. And number two, if Ed O'Neill got hurt, effectively, you know, that would be a big problem. So they made it believe, make it look like he's lifting something up. But quite frankly, they did it so cheaply that, in my opinion, (laughs) there is no, you know... There's no redeeming factor in that scene. I mean, it's it's just it's terrible. Like in other words, you could you could put a, you could have put a card jack underneath the damn dumpster, and while Ed O'Neill is looks like he's trying to lift it up, you could have lifted it up a couple of inches to make believe they were doing it, right? But they didn't even do that. Yeah, yeah, it looks cheap. I mean, that was bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoyed the scene. Well, I mean, I well, I guess we'll talk about more when we get there. I enjoy the scene because it shows, you know, Al Bundy being a hero there. But yeah, it looked pretty cheap. <laughs> so yeah, and we'll, there's more to that scene in a little bit. So <laughs> we'll we'll get there uh, later. So anyway, so now we find out that they've been activated. Well, good news, ladies. You're getting that well-deserved psychiatric leave, sir. <laughs> no, I've used them all up. <laughs> the news is. Basic training is cut short. Thank God. I'll pack. I'll warm up the car. Not so fast, maggots. This unit's been activated. We're going on a mission. Permission to know where, sir? Denied! Now go home, make love to your widows, and report back here at 1,600 hours. Hell, I'm scared. You're scared. I gotta go home and make love to Peg. <laughs> this is totally, totally implausible to cut basic training short for something like this. <laughs> this would never, ever happen. It, the, the only way, the only reason someone's basic would be cut short would be like a nuclear disaster or something. If the United States is being attacked on its home front <laughs> and they're desperate for bodies. Not for a trash strike. <laughs> you know, totally ridiculous. But, hey, whatever. It's TV. <laughs> All right. Just go with it, huh? Right. So, anyway, I mean, I think the funny line that the drill sergeant says is, now go home, make love to your widows, and report here at 1,600 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to go. Make love to your widows. <laughs> Now, to me, the lost opportunity here is, uh, you know that Al was going to make a comment about Peg, right? But it's like, shouldn't Griff have had, like, something to say? It's like, well, it's like, I got nobody to go home to. Like, they could have made a joke there for both of them. And it's like, you knew that the Al joke was coming. So it's like, ah. Yeah. What they should have done is when he said, "Go go home and make love to your widows, Griff could say, well, I have no one to go home to make love to. And Al could be like, go home to mine. Or go That's home right, to Peg. Right, right, like right. <laughs> right. Yeah, especially knowing we, uh, especially already know Peg already kind of got a, uh, under, I think an underlying theme for Griff. 
with those uh, nothing but butter episodes and stuff. Yeah. I can't believe it's not butter. I'm not feeling any love on this episode uh, so far, Chris. <laughs> uh, so now we go back to the Bundy house and we're in the backyard and Bud and Kelly are back there. We're in business, Kelly. I got the fan belt off Mrs. Darcy's Mercedes. Oh. <laughs> Serves her right for making us take our garbage back. Okay, I left the Darcy's attic window open. Okay. Are you sure this thing is aimed right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I've calculated the exact trajectory, taking into account mass, angle, velocity, and wind speed. And, of course, your complete lack of sex appeal. <laughs> what does that have to do with it, Kel? Well, I had so many variables, I needed one constant. <laughs> You know, it's amazing how you can figure out such a difficult mathematical equation, but yet you can't find your way out of a frat house. I can't, too. I just yell, I'm pregnant, and the next thing you know, I'm out in the alley. Okay, let's let her rip. Okay. Let's go down there, and here we go. What are you kids up to? Recycling. <laughs> so anyway, so now we find out that Kelly actually is somewhat smart. Like again, she's been, I mean, she's been written in epi- in season eleven as like you know uh, Carolyn, who reviewed uh, the episode with us a few weeks ago. Chris, she had said that she's written so dumb that she has to remember to breathe. But here she is, like you know, uh, figuring out a physics equation in terms of how to get the garbage. You know, using that rocket launcher, you know, from uh, from the Bundy backyard over to the Darcy backyard. So the implication is she might be kind of like autistic in a way, where she could be real clueless, but being real smart. I don't know. That's actually a great point that you make. That's a great point that you make, Lou. Yeah. Because even with that, uh, when she fixed that, uh, that uh, workbench for Al, but she bumbled through the rest of the episode. <laughs> Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah she's, she's very good with her hand, I noticed. Well, family, I'm off to fight the forces of evil. Mm, that's nice, dear. Hey, will someone pay attention here? They're having me go out to fight horrible people, probably the French. <laughs> you may never see me again. You know, Dad, I've been thinking maybe I should join the army. I mean, I hear women are attracted to men in uniform. It's not the uniform, son. It's known that he's been trained to obey orders and eat crap. <laughs> So now we see like Al, like, you know, he came home, I guess, to get ready to leave, combat the forces of evil. And we have a French joke. I think it's probably one of the last ones, too. Yeah, it might be. Now, I'd say one of the the funny lines here is Bud thinks is thinking about joining the National Guard because he says he hears that women are attracted to men in uniform. And I'd say that there is some truth to that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, Definitely. but the line is, I think, the best. This is not the uniform, son. It's knowing that he's been trained to to obey orders and eat crap. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, but 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 the follow-up from Kelly, I think, Lou, you're going to appreciate the most. No, Daddy's going away again? No, this time he's joined the post office. <laughs> Don't worry, Pumpkin. Daddy's not going to any place as dangerous as that. He says, oh, no, Dad's going away. Now, now this time he's joined the post office. <laughs> And, uh, oh, yeah, I cracked yeah, and Al says, don't worry, Pumpkin. Daddy's not going any place as dangerous as that. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about that, too, is I reviewed that episode while I was working today. And before I left the office, they was in there arguing and yelling at each other. 
Oh my god! So it all kind of it all kind of went with each other. <laughs> so I mean, you know, so we have somebody who's in the National Guard. So as uh, someone who works for the post office, uh, how do how do you uh, how do those uh, jokes uh, hit you? I crack up. I, those jokes be killing me. Uh, and um, they they're really good. Like when uh, that one episode when they all went to uh, I think the Cycle Dad episode and then. Uh, Officer Dan shot out the window, <laughs> and he was like, "Damn, postal worker!" <laughs> what, what, what episode? That was an older episode, right? Yeah. Oh, that, oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, they've ragged on the post office plenty of times. Yeah, plenty of times. I crack up every time working for. I really, yeah, it's funny because then you you go to these houses, and sometimes these women come to the door. So I get the Connolly episode when the women come to the door half dressed. People, like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Donnelly, Donnelly. That's, that, that's Donnelly. right. Yeah, like you know the. It's, it's like uh, hey, it's like hey Bundy. Like it was hey Bundy. It's like I had steak tonight. What are you having? It's like if I was the mailman, I'd be having your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, man. Dan Chase loved those uh, those jokes. In yeah, particular. Was yeah, I remember that. Yeah, those were great. Uh, yeah, they yeah they were. Oh, they must have knew some somebody worked at the post office. <laughs> that was yeah. funny. Yeah, I thought you of all people would recognize a man in a military uniform. This is what they look like on. <laughs> <laughs> honey, honey, you shouldn't say things like that to Daddy after he's just been trained to use a gun. <laughs> hey, don't you want to kiss me goodbye? Tonight I may be standing in harm's way. Now I don't care where you're standing. As long as it isn't in front of Ricky Lake. <laughs> now, Al's actually trying to get a, a little intimate. He wants to get a kiss from Peg, and she's interested. She's watching TV. Now, at first, you think she'd be watching Oprah, but instead, she's watching Ricky Lake. Yeah, I don't know what Ricky Lake is an American actress, television presenter, and producer. And she's best known for her lead role as Tracy Turnblad in the 1988 film Hairspray. She's also known for her talk show, which was broadcast internationally from September 1993 until May 2004. And when Lake's show debuted, she was 24 and credited as being the youngest person to host a syndicated talk show at the time. Now, this is probably one of the last of the of the daytime talk show people that talked about. I mean, Peggs talked about, obviously, we started with Phil Donahue. We had Oprah, people like Jenny Jones, Richard Bay. Jerry Springer, I think, was was probably well. He was the masculine feminist. I don't think that they mentioned the uh, uh, his talk show. But again, but Ricky Lake is another one. So, and those are pretty much all of those daytime talk show hosts that they had. And uh, Annabelle has a note here. She says, "What? No Oprah?" It says apparently her show was produced by Fox's Garth Ancier, who was in Married with Children, in the Kelly Does Hollywood Part Two episode. So. <laughs> So, so, uh, so, so that's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, hearing her say Ricky Lake, they kind of throw me off. I was like, I just kind of looked past it. Like, yeah. Yep. Okay. But until I come back, you're going to be the man of the family. Make me proud, son. I will, Dad. And don't worry. I'll keep all your biggins safe and sound until you get back. That's not necessary, son. What the hell do you think I got in this bag? <laughs> Be very careful. Oh, Kel, what are you worried about? The National Guard is nothing but a bunch of Boy Scouts with beer bellies. 
You take it all for granted, don't you, you little pinkos? <laughs> well, keep this in mind. The National Guard is the thin green line that separates you from total anarchy. And I'm damn proud to do anything my country asks of me. So pinko is a pejorative coined in 1925 in the United States to describe a person regarded as being sympathetic to communism, though not necessarily a communist party member. Yeah, like that was a term I remember like like in older films, like somebody like calling somebody a commie pinko. I remember hearing it in the 80s because remember, you know, in the 80s, you still had the Soviet Union. You know, mm -hmm. by the mid to late 90s, uh, you know, it was like a term that you really didn't hear on television anymore. But, you know, for somebody like Al Bundy, who grew up in the 50s and 60s, it was a much more common term. So now we we cut to the truck. I'm not doing it. You can't make me pick up garbage. You don't do what I tell you to do and any more lip out of you and I'll tell. <laughs> I wouldn't have done this if it wasn't for you guys. Join the reserve, see the state. <laughs> Excuse me. And I'd say like the most iconic parts of this episode are in the truck. Yeah, definitely. Sitting there in the LMTV. <laughs> Is this mission interfering with your whining? Well, these strikers are angry. Watch your backs. Ooh, like I'm afraid of some garbage men. <laughs> what are they gonna do? Make noise early in the morning? <laughs> Told you so. <laughs> What's interesting is like, are you know, what are they afraid of? Some garbage men. Now, the comment I'm going to make about garbage men is, you know, garbage men are generally in a union, and if you're right. in, if you're in a labor union and you're effectively called in to do the job of the people in the labor union, they will generally make your life very miserable and sometimes even inflict physical harm on you, right? <laughs> so I can understand why you would be afraid of the garbage men. Yeah, especially because they leave your garbage out there. Then if they go on strike, it's going to basically have a Bundy's living room like it was looking. Right. And let me tell you, I think the people who work at the the... the the people who work on the show, I think, had a fun time because, you know, this is something that Annabelle would say. It's like, if you look close enough, you could probably figure out, like, who's who, like, from the production staff, because they're the people who are effectively, I think, throwing the empty bottles at, you know, at <laughs> Al uh, Jefferson and uh, Griff, right? <laughs> yeah. They probably enjoyed this one. So now we cut back to the backyard again. <laughs> Daddy was here to enjoy this. Oh, I know. I can't believe he hasn't even written since he left. Mom, he's only been gone for four hours. <laughs> well, in that case, I, I guess I better get on with my life. You know, maybe you should throw over your father's clothes. I could really use the closet space. Okay, look, I'm gonna have to adjust this tension, okay? Okay. Now, whatever you do, don't touch that lever. What, this one? So what would you think about Kelly effectively launching uh, Bud over the fence? 
It was corny, but funny. I Anytime we get a dummy on uh, thrown across the screen, I always enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm never opposed of a dummy scene. But the thing is, you know, but the, the believability, I guess, is the question. You know, how believable was that? Oh, totally not believable. I mean, really nothing in this episode is believable. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're talking. You know, but it's just at this point in the series, though, that's pretty normal. <laughs> so now we cut back to the truck again. Way to navigate, Jefferson. <laughs> I am your commanding officer. I should be addressed as sir. But if I called you sir, what would I call your wife? <laughs> and for your information, we're not lost. Now, according to this map, we can't be more than a finger away from base. Which finger? This one? <laughs> oh, very nice. I think you owe the good people of Waukegan an apology for that little gesture. Jefferson, I guess, since he's he's of a higher rank, so I'm assuming that Alan Griff are privates at this point, correct? Yeah, so Alan Griff would be on the enlisted side. So they'd be privates, E1s, basically. Jefferson called himself a second lieutenant, so that would be on the officer side. So that would be an O one, basically. So, yeah, he would be—he's way higher ranked since he's on the officer side. In all honesty, they wouldn't be in the front of the truck with him. Another officer would, and and uh, Al and Griff would be sitting in the back. <laughs> but you know, it's TV, so. <laughs> I'm gonna give everyone a little callback here. Jefferson's trying to find something on the map and Al, you know, sort of flips him the bird. And Jefferson says, I think you owe the good people of Waukegan an apology for that little gesture. So when was Waukegan, let's see if you guys remember this, when was Waukegan mentioned before on the show? Hey, Steve, that's rude. His home is his castle. Well, mine is a moat, Al. What did you do with our house? Well, now, relax. Just relax. Tell us about your trip first. You want to hear about our trip? Okay. I'll tell you about our trip. First, they lost our luggage. Then our hotel reservations. The play we wanted to see stunk, and I didn't get any sleep. Why? Because all the good heating grates were taken. So we came home. You have anything to tell us? No. Kelly's having a party. Bud's doing well in school. Where's our house, Al? It's a chicken restaurant in Waukegan. <laughs> you didn't think I knew, did you? See, this is really so funny. See, this guy came over and asked for Steve's roadhouse. Well, I thought he said Steve Rhodes' house, and then one thing led to another, and your house was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have the notes. So. Uh, uh, I know it was. But I can't think of the exact moment. Oh, I forgot that they're in the notes. <laughs> but uh, uh, th 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 this was my note, uh, uh, Chris. You want to tell tell the fans if they remember? Yeah, so Waukegan, that's where Stephen Marcy's house ended up when it turned into a chicken restaurant. Way back in Season 3, uh, Episode 16, The House That Peg Lost. Uh, I, I, that's a, a favorite of my episode. My one of my favorites there in the early seasons, where, where Steve is beating on the Steve door and, and, and Al goes, "Who is it?" <laughs> he knocks on the door. And, and you know something? Like, I mean, I, I want to contrast that episode to this episode. 
That was a Looney Tunes type episode because effectively the entire house was picked up. But the the reason that they gave was that, you know, some house mover came, right? Peggy said, you know, remember they were looking for Steve's road house as opposed to Steve Rhodes's house. And effectively, like somebody came and picked up the house and there was some believability to it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was believable. Whereas this is not believable. Yeah. I mean, if you were to air that episode during season 11, that that episode, the house that Peg lost would seem grounded in reality compared to most of season 11. Exactly. (laughs) Point point that I'm making. (laughs) Right. You can actually see a house being carried away, too. Like I've seen it like houses being transported. But yeah, so it was still like you said, Looney Tune, but it still was like believable. Now it's like, nah. Lieutenant Darcy. I want to say this in the most respectful way possible. Get us home or we gonna frag your ass. Come in, Ziploc team. Are you out there? Over. We read you over. Listen up, men. The hefty team is taking a big dumpster. We need backup at 23rd and Addison. Copy? Roger, on our way, over. Okay. You know, they get on the radio with the drill sergeant and... He says, come in Ziploc team. So, you know, Ziplocs are the, you know, what do you call them? I guess like the little bags. Right. You know, for, uh, you know, for food. And then Hefty is a brand of uh, garbage bags. And he says, the Hefty team is taking a big dumpster. <laughs> a little double entendre. You know I, I didn't catch that. Right. I didn't catch that until you just said it like that. <laughs> And they said they need backup on 23rd and Addison. So I did check. There is no intersection in Chicago of 23rd and Addison. Hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, when Jefferson says, Roger, on our way over, the note that I had here was that, is this a nod to Jefferson's, in other words, Ted McGinley's character of Roger Phillips on Happy Days? Annabelle just says that it sounds like a, coinc- a coinky dink. But, you know, I but there's like something usually again, because they're winking at Harold Sylvester for having been in an officer and a gentleman. Right. When we talked to Harold Sylvester, you know, we talked about like what he thought his signature episodes were. Right. Uh I think we briefly discussed trash, but um, I think. Correct. Yeah, I I actually mentioned a couple of my favorite uh, my favorite lines, and I I don't think he remembered the line. (laughs) I remember the 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 line where uh, where he gets shot by the can, and and Al goes, uh, "Do you want me to tell your wife you love her?" And he goes, "No, tell her she's a bitch." Like I don't think Harold Sylvester remembered (laughs) that line. (laughs) And that is his signature line too. But again, but this but this was but this was really Griff heavy episode. Yeah. But he definitely liked, uh, you know, the Olympics episode, and I can't believe it's it's butter, and you know, those are <laughs> probably is more famous, more more famous than this one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we have to go through the auto yard, Griff. I think you should go first. Good idea. I don't think so. <laughs> let me rephrase. I'm ordering you to go first. Then let me rephrase. Bite me. <laughs> Haven't you ever seen a war movie? The black man always gets it first. What do you mean? Jim Brown and the Dirty Dozen, Lawrence Fishburne in Apocalypse Now, Bubba and Forrest Gump. <laughs> in 
any black man in Star Trek. We go in, test the waters, get killed, and you white guys go home to your families. See, we both lose. <laughs> The one thing is, is that I did see a film recently, and you know, I'm going to ask the fan base this question. The scene of them inside the truck, I feel like, is a parody of a scene from another movie. And I'm trying to figure out which one it is, but I saw it recently, and I'm like, this is what it is. But once we started recording, I forgot about it, and I never added it to the notes. I'm trying to remember what film I saw, but the, the scene of them in the truck is a parody of something else. And it's not even on the, it's not in our notes, and I don't even see it on the um, Married with Children wiki. So I imagine I uh, either I made it up or there's something else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but these lines over here, I think, are, are great. And this was our opening. <laughs> so the thing is, oh, yeah, yeah. so Griff says that the black man always gets it first. <laughs> Jim Brown and the Dirty Dozen, Lawrence Fishburne in Apocalypse Now, Bubba in Forrest Gump, any black man in Star Trek. <laughs> we go in, test the waters, get killed, and you white guys go home to your families. <laughs> and he's not wrong. So, um, Chris, you're no, right. No, he's right. Yeah, so- that, that's, been, that's been a trope forever. <laughs> Jim Brown is an American former professional football player, sports analyst, and actor. He was a fullback for the Cleveland Browns of the NFL from 1957 through 1965. He is considered to be one of the greatest football players of all time. Brown was a Pro Bowl invitee every season he was in the league, was recognized as the AP Most Valuable Player three times, and won an NFL championship with the Browns in 1964. He led the league in rushing yards in eight out of his nine seasons, and by the time he retired, he had shattered most major rushing records. In 2002, he was named by the Sporting News as the greatest professional football player of all time. MGM's The Dirty Dozen cast Brown as Robert Jefferson, one of the 12 convicts sent to France during World War II to assassinate German officers meeting at the castle near Reims in Brittany before the D-Day invasion. So Lawrence Fishburne is an American actor, playwright, producer, screenwriter, and film director. He is known for playing Morpheus in the Matrix trilogy. Jason Furious Styles in the 1991 drama film Boys in the Hood, Tyrone, Mr. Clean Miller in the 1979 war film Apocalypse Now, and most recently is the Bowery King in the John Wick film series. He is set to co-star along Ed O'Neill in the upcoming miniseries The Sterling Affairs. That might have already happened since these notes are two years old. <laughs> yeah, actually, I added that on there. Uh, I added that last thing. Yeah, it's uh, supposed to come out late this year. Um, very much looking forward to it. McKelty Williamson is an American actor best known for his roles in the films Forrest Gump as Bubba and Con Air and the television series Boomtown, 24, and Justified. In 2016, he portrayed Gabriel Maxson in Denzel Washington's acclaimed film adaptation of August Wilson's play, play Fences, reprising his role from the 2010 Broadway revival Bubba was originally supposed to be the senior partner in the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, but due to his death in Vietnam, their platoon leader, Dan Taylor, took his place. Lieutenant Dan. All right, and uh, the Star Trek reference is about the red shirts on the show, and a red shirt is a stock character in fiction who dies soon after being introduced. The term originates from the original Star <laughs> Trek television series in which the red-shirted security personnel 
frequently die during episodes. Redshirt deaths are often used to dramatize the potential perils that the main characters face. Of the 59 crew members killed in the original series, 43 of them, 73%, were wearing red shirts. I guess the joke is that many of these red shirts people were black men. All right. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not as familiar. I, I mean, I've watched the original series, but I'm not necessarily like a Trekkie <laughs> that I know all the detail of every single one. The way I am with Married with Children, that <laughs> I could, I could tell yeah. you whether that's true or not. I've always been a Star Wars guy myself. Never really got into Star Trek, so. <laughs> yeah, it was always too quiet when it was on. It's like all you hear is the background noises. Then they just start talking. I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't. It didn't grab me either. <laughs> So now we have this iconic scene with Al and Griff <laughs> when it looks like uh, when actually Griff gets egged. Now come on, let's move out. Oh, listen now, will you do something for me? Anything, buddy. If I don't make it, would you look up my ex-wife and tell her that you love her? No, tell her that she's a bitch. <laughs> You'll be able to tell her that in person, buddy. <laughs> Somebody threw it and got him. <laughs> I don't think he took a shell for <laughs> So, Chris, this is your favorite line. No, tell her she's a bitch. Yeah, he delivers that so well. It's so funny. It, it, I remember the first time I saw this, I was expecting him to say, yeah, tell her I love her, tell her I'm sorry about the way things ended or something. He goes, no, tell her she's a bitch. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, I remember when uh, when we were, we were interviewing Harold Sylvester, and he was talking about, you know, how different his relationship is in real life with his real life wife, you know, how he's, she's his best friend and everything. And he's like, yeah, that's totally unlike me in real life, you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, and then we find out that, you know, really Jefferson is a candy ass, right? Oh my God, a grenade, take cover! It's an avocado, Jefferson. <laughs> Why don't you throw yourself out of have guacamole? <laughs> I, I can't take the pressure. I want my Marcy. <laughs> Come in. Anyone. <laughs> Help. What appears to be a grenade gets flung on them and find out it's just an avocado. <laughs> I, I laughed at that one, too. He's like, it's an avocado, Jefferson. Why don't you throw yourself on it and we'll make some guacamole. <laughs> Now it's like we have this totally farcical, I mean, and cheesy thing between Al and the drill sergeant. Can't help you, Ziploc. I'm alone. I'm pinned under a dumpster on the other side of the wall. What should we do? Pull out! Save your candy asses! <laughs> you heard the man, let's go home. <laughs> I got some yoke in my ear, but I think I can drive. <laughs> Are you crazy? Maybe so. 
But I'm gonna show that sergeant that high heel Bundy's no candy ass. <laughs> Move this dumpster. Oh, yeah? You're looking at a man who pried a 500 pound woman from a size six pump. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, you'll never make it. And uh, he just wants to show that he's not a candy ass. So, what Al did in basic training, like he sort of repeats, right? Like with the tires and sort of that obstacle course. While the you know the production staff is throwing all of these empty plastic bottles at him, <laughs> so, and he says you're a fool. You'll never move this dumpster. So the thing is, I mean, it looks like he moved. Like I mean, it looks like he's going up and down, but the dumpster's not moving. I mean, you could see yeah, that. I mean, Lord. that is like so freaking cheesy. Yeah, I don't like you said. I don't know why they didn't get a carjack, or they could have gotten a, someone. Uh, underneath the camera or something to lift it. I don't know. They could have done something. It does look pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I believe when Al says that he's pried a 500-pound woman from a size 6 pump. You know, <laughs> we, we've sort of seen that, and, and we've seen cutaways to that, but this? Yeah. Yeah, that was... I, I thought I was I thought I was saying something wrong, so I was going to ask you guys when we get to that part, too. I'm like, am I, am I missing something? But I guess not. It's time for no man to take a little break in the Jiggly Room. I'm the DJ, and I'm going to play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry With Children. So this scene where Al picks up the drill sergeant and and they're playing the instrumental version of Up Where We Belong, that is, uh, a, <laughs> that is a parody of the final scene of An Officer and a Gentleman, of okay. when Mayo picks up the local townie Paula from the factory where she worked and is carrying her out. Now that song, that's like the easy listening song. <laughs> Uh, I remember from the that, that was like an easy listening song. So it's a so up where we belong is a song written by Jack Nietzsche, Buffy Saint Marie, and Will Jennings that were recorded by Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warrens for the 1982 film An Officer and a Gentleman. Uh, Warrens was recommended to sing a song from the film because of her previous soundtrack successes, and she had no idea for the song to be a duet that would she perform with Cocker. Jennings selected various sections of the score by Nietzsche and St. Marie in creating the structure of the song and added lyrics about the struggle of life and love and the obstacles that people attempt to dodge. And it was released with the film. And again, and this is like a, an 80s ballad is the best I can describe it as. And yeah. it has yeah. been parodied numerous times. Yeah. 
Hey, you know, one other thing I'll point out, just since you mentioned the drill sergeant again, is, uh, and that's, uh, did y'all notice he was wearing his drill sergeant cover <laughs> there out in the field? <laughs> no. So you want to tell drill, us about that? Yeah. Drill sergeants don't do, they, they, their cover or their, their hat as civilians would call it. Drill sergeants don't wear that in any other place other than basic training or AIT. They would never, ever wear that out in the field. <laughs> Interesting. That's totally, really? totally crazy. Yeah, they only wear that in basic training in AIT. No ifs, ands, or buts. They would never wear that out in the field. And, and another thing, by the way, uh, th that I noticed is Al, Jefferson, and Griff are wearing their combat helmet when they're really not in a combat situation. I mean, there's people throwing cans at them, so I guess you could call it a combat situation, but... They were even wearing their combat helmets like when they were doing drill and ceremony and stuff. In real life, they would be wearing a, just a regular cover or, you know, the, the regular army cover is what looks like a like a regular hat, basically, like a uh, baseball cap. But you would never wear a oh. you would never wear a uh, an army combat helmet just when you're marching or. <laughs> doing regular drill and ceremony. I don't know. You know, you know so. Lou, I, I didn't know I was going to get this kind of an education on this review, right? But uh, <laughs> I guess, Chris, you were the, you were the right person, man. <laughs> yeah, he was a perfect person because cause he, uh, as he talked, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to other shows and movies and like, oh, somebody did it right, somebody did it wrong. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. I'm like, why? Like, I didn't know the hacks had a name. Like, That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, and, and unfortunately, I don't have a ton of photos of my time in the military because, you know, I was in before I, I, I you know, smartphones didn't even exist when I was in. So, you know, if, if I were in the Army now, I would have you know, 10,000 photos of me doing stuff every day. But back then, you, you get a few photos here and there. But I do have a few of me in uniform. I'll post in the comment section when this episode airs. Uh, I have a few of me oh, wearing my, my regular cover, and I have a few of me wearing, you know, my, my combat helmet and things like that. So you can see the difference. But, yeah, you would never – a drill sergeant would never be wearing his drill sergeant uh, cover out in the field like that, <laughs> ever. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask Chris, I have a question. Uh, you ever seen the movie Major Pain with Damon Wayans? I have years ago, yeah. Yeah, so uh, oh, you probably don't remember. Yeah. I was going to ask how it seemed like that was accurate, did because I think when he was only with the boys on the field, uh, I mean, with the training, he only had the cover on, and then when he was out, he, he wasn't wearing it. So I'm like, must be real, uh, real accurate then. Yeah, I'd have to rewatch it, but yeah, they 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 wear their drill sergeant cover pretty much 24 seven in basic training, it, it, unless you're doing PT. You know, when you're in your PT uniform, obviously you're not wearing anything; you're just running or. or push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, things like that. But they wear it 24-7 other than that in, uh, in basic training, but they never wear it out in the field like this. <laughs> so, so speaking of Ricky Lake and Jenny Jones, when that one drill sergeant used to come out and get on the kids, that, that was inaccurate then, huh? <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. I'd have to see it. <laughs> oh, okay. Sounds like it. I'd have to see it, but yeah. <laughs> well, Private Bundy, so you followed my orders and saved the Sarge? Nice try, panty waist. <laughs> anyone's a hero around here, it's Bundy. Gee, thanks, Sarge. <laughs> I don't know, but I've been told... Garbage stinks when it gets old! <laughs> Let's go have a beer that's cold! And, and leave the guard, cause we're too old! Down the So all of a sudden, it's like they start 
chanting, and it's like the people stopped throwing the garbage at them. And here we go back. Now, what did you call that again, Chris? You know, when they start singing, what's that called? Oh, it's drilling ceremony. Yeah, so they do this drilling ceremony thing, and, you know, and the scene ends. And I'm like, really? <laughs> All right. Anyway, so now we, we cut back to the living room. <laughs> you know, but it's a good thing that you landed on Mrs. Darcy, or you could have really gotten hurt. <laughs> I am hurt, <laughs> Stop whining. It's the first time in months you've been on top of a woman and she even screamed. Damn, I'm good. You know, you have some banter between Kelly and Bud. You know, I thought that was funny. It's like, first time in months you've been on top of a woman, she even screamed. <laughs> I mean, and, like, and, you know, Bud's in that uh, body cast. I thought that was funny. The body cast like a wife beater. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. You know, bud, according to this insurance policy, if your father comes home looking half as bad as you, we'll make a fortune. <laughs> yeah! Oh, the garbage strike is over because Corporal Bundy struck back. Oh, Dad. Oh, Al, you're home. And all in one piece. <laughs> oh, my girls. Bud, you bulked up since I've been gone. I'm in a body cast, Dad. Oh, what's good on you? Come on, Bud. I think Mom and Dad would like to be alone. Okay, okay, but just don't touch my hair. Don't touch my hair! so proud of you. You ended the garbage strike and you got a promotion. And big, I was awarded the bronze dumpster. Oh. <laughs> you know, Al, all wars are followed by a baby boom. Let's repopulate. Well, big, I can. I, I was injured in battle. <laughs> I'm not the man I was. Oh, great. One injury and it's a pre-existing condition. <laughs> Now, Chris, this is a question for you. So the dialogue says that now he's Corporal Bundy. So he went from a private to a corporal. So how many ranks did he get promoted? That would be – so a corporal is an E4. So he would go basically from uh, either an E1 or E2 because E1 and E2 are both privates. And then E3 is a private first class. And then E4 is either a specialist or a corporal depending on – which route you go in the promotion scale. So he basically went from an E1 to an E4. <laughs> that, that's a hell of a promotion overnight, I can tell you that. But, I mean, <laughs> it, we're, we're pretending he saved someone's life here in a, in a war, in basically like a, like, sort of like a war zone, I guess, for this show because they're throwing cans and stuff at him. So, I mean, that's, there's people that if you do something really heroic and really uh, like saving someone's life, you would get a big promotion. So, I mean, like he said, they gave him the what was it? The bronze dumpster, I think. Is right. What called it. Or the, <laughs> which is obviously a play on the bronze star, or the silver star. <laughs> so we end the episode with, again, some stock sex jokes. Well, Al says that he got the he was awarded the brown dumpster and. Uh, <laughs> You know, Peggy thinks that they should repopulate the earth, you know, because the wars are followed by a baby boom. And uh, 
we found out that Al has an injury, <laughs> and uh, Peg comments that it's a pre-existing condition. Right after the end credits, however, what you have is a garbage truck that looks like it's approaching the house, and Al seems to have a little PTSD. So he yells incoming and sort of dies behind the couch. And that's how the episode ends. I'm like WTF. Like, what the hell was that? So we'll be right back with our reviews. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple podcast app. And please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. And we're back. Hey, Chris. How many bronze dumpsters do you want to not lift up for this episode? <laughs> well, uh, for, for those listening, I think I was awfully critical of some of the inaccuracies, inaccuracies in uniform and things like that. So, uh, and I already mentioned those. You know, there was no dress right dress there when they were in basic. You had some guys running around in their boxers and others in their, uh, you know, wearing their uh, wearing their fatigues. They, a football and basic, totally ridiculous. They would be PT'd until they were dead. I spoke about the drill sergeant wearing their, his drill sergeant cover out in the field. You know, and, and just the, and, and I will admit, just the entire plot of a National Guard being deployed stateside for a garbage strike is totally not plausible, <laughs> really. I mean, I, I suppose they could be deployed to clean up. Uh, now that, now that's believable. They would have to pick up the trash and stuff, but in, in general, the, 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 the whole plot of this episode isn't pl- plausible or believable. Al Jefferson and Griff joining at their age, that type of thing. You know, uh, Luigi hit it at the beginning of the episode. He, he said, you really have to suspend belief to, to wrap your, to wrap your brain around this. <laughs> but with that, all that said, I do like this episode. And, uh, and, and I totally get it. I, I, I know why a lot of people don't like it. It's goofy. It's corny. It's not realistic at, at all. But I do like it. Being a former service member myself and being someone who went through basic training myself, I know what these guys went through. Uh, you know, although they got off easy, there's got sh- cut short. But <laughs> it's only a 22-minute episode, so you work with what you got. I do enjoy this episode. I got some good laughs. Reminded me a little bit of my basic training. I went through one deployment. I went to um, New Orleans during Katrina uh, back in 2005. So I spent a couple of weeks there. So I know a, a little bit of w- w- what they had to go through there when they're on the streets there during the garbage strike. And uh, there was, to me, there was a lot of good laughs. And granted, you know, this, uh, this episode does have a lot of the problems, the same problems that uh, a good majority of season 11 has. You know, we, we've spoke about this before when we're framing our ratings, how instead of the baseball analogy, instead of going for the base hits, you know, the singles and the doubles, they're swinging for the fences every time, going for the homers. 
but it had some laugh out loud moments. You know, uh, Griff's line there where he said, you know, tell my wife, uh, my ex-wife she's a bitch, you know, and uh, it's an avocado, Jefferson. You know, I laughed out loud there. And, and some of the smaller things, some of the the, the smaller things like the, the bronze dumpster, I got a pretty good laugh out of that. I feel like probably I'm probably the only person that laughed there. You know, <laughs> probably just service members are going to laugh at that. But you know, that was actually kind of realistic. If if Al actually did save someone's life, if he lifted a dumpster off someone's leg and saved them, he probably would get the bronze star or a silver star or something. You know, for <laughs> for his heroism there. So. I guess at the bottom line is, despite all the, the, the corniness and, and, and how over the top this is and how unrealistic it is, the bottom line is me seeing my, my favorite fictional character of all time join the, the military and service country and the National Guard, I, at the end of the day, I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> so I like to try to stay consistent in some of my ratings, you know, looking for season 11 I gave fours to Twisted, The Jugs, and Crimes Against Obesity. Now, this episode is nowhere near as good as those three. <laughs> it's not in the same class as those, but I do enjoy it. So since I gave those three a four, I'm going to give this one a 3.5. 3.5 dumpsters out of five. All so, right. Okay, bronze dumpsters at that, right? Bronze dumpsters. There you go. 3.5 out of 5. <laughs> Noted and recorded. So, Lou, how many bronze dumpsters are you going to rate this episode? <laughs> you know what? I, watching this over the years growing up, I, I don't know if it's because of MASH or whatever. It gives me a different vibe than a normal uh, Married with Children episode. Like, if you kind of tune in and didn't see the characters, you probably wouldn't even know it was Married with Children. It, it, is, it do got some funny moments like you said they don't do the setup like they used to it's just they just do all the outlandish jokes right away and uh this one it, it didn't it didn't have the the normal owl losers at the end i don't know i don't feel like it's one of those go-to episodes you can just go to and be like okay this is married with children but it is enjoyable it has the funny scene the the stuff the army chris not the army uh the, the national guard Chris uh, helped me learn a lot with what he what he taught us today, so I enjoyed it. I give it a three point five, also. All right, because I actually had some laugh out loud moments, and it, it went fast. It didn't drag. I'll take. I I give it a three point five. Okay. Uh, bronze dumpsters winnings that we couldn't lift, that we didn't lift up. <laughs> well, thanks, Lou. So from myself. <laughs> I had a number in my head coming into this and, you know, we discussed it and I actually really enjoyed Chris, you know, all that you were able to uh, get all the color you were able to add to this episode on the positive side. I think that Harold Sylvester had the, some of the best lines of the episode. I think the jokes are well-written for him. You know, my laugh out loud moments were a lot of his dialogue. Definitely. The problem that I have with it is, it sort of it came up out of nowhere in terms of this whole National Guard thing with Jefferson. The believability and the plausibility of it, you know, again, I could suspend belief on it, but the lines were weird. I mean, when you look at Ed O'Neill's acting, it's almost like he's a different character. And, like, that was something that I had a problem with. It's like usually, like, Al is going to be sarcastic and dejected, but mm -hmm. it's almost like he's being, what's the word I'm looking for? 
you know, it, it's almost like he's being meek. I, I would expect, you know, Al, if he had a drill sergeant in front of him, to be like trading barbs with him, like the same way he does with Donnelly, right? You, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like, right. you're like, he, right. like that, that is what I expect of the character. And the fact that the character was very meek ended up being something that was really out of character for Al. The scenes with the kids, again, like, again, that was shoehorned in. I feel like, I mean, they needed, you know, to fill in a 22 minute episode so they didn't have enough time with the A plot. I mean, that seemed weak as well. And, and again, as I noted at the beginning, this was written by four people, including David Faustino. So it's like, really? This is the best you can go with? Chris and I have joked about this, you know, because, uh, you know, I've sort of made known that I wasn't really a big fan of this. I had a number in my head. I went up a little bit with it. But to be honest with you, I can't give more than a two. And that's my rating for this episode. That's my opinion. And if uh, any of you out there have a different opinion or feel that maybe this should be a four or five, please leave some uh, comments and tell us what you think. But yeah, I... This is one of those ones in my list, I think, after Enemies, that it's like, uh, if it was never made or if it's not something I have to see again, like, I really don't, it's not a go-to for me. But, like I said, and I think I was generous for myself, like, I think because of Harold Sylvester's lines as Griff, like, I I gave it a little more. Otherwise, I probably would have gone with a 1.5 on this one. Sorry. Yeah, man, I I hear you, man. And, and like I said, I totally understand the uh, uh, why a lot of people don't like it. And and I'll admit, I'm I'm probably a little predisposed or, or biased towards liking it because uh, you know just because I was in the National Guard. If it weren't for that, I would probably be giving it like a two point five myself. Yeah. But I bump it up a little bit because of that. So oh, and, and that's <laughs> fine. Uh, like I said, I mean, I mean, if you guys, if any of you out there who listen to our show, <laughs> like want to, uh, you know, weigh in on this, you know, please do so and let us know what you think. And that's it today for the Married with Children podcast. So, Lou, I really want to thank you again. Really appreciate having you on today. We really appreciate your comments on YouTube. So please keep it up. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> we're going to be wrapping up the podcast uh probably within the next two months after this airs so um uh, unless we have new material to talk about that's what it is but thank you for having been a loyal fan oh yeah no problem i appreciate the invite and uh, the couple times you have me on here i'm always still rewatch these uh episodes and even probably uh you might see comments months apart because i might be watching it again to say something else so yeah, I, I appreciate the content i appreciate uh everyone's enthusiasm about the show that i grew up on uh, Loving my whole life as early as I can remember, and uh, I, I appreciate being part of it. Yeah, man, it's great to have you again. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was good. And I, he taught me a lot about the about the, the reserves today. That, that was really interesting to me. So, <laughs> I, like I said, you know, and I appreciate you guys uh, buffing up the time for me too. I got off a little later than I thought I would, so I appreciate that. We didn't want to do this episode without you, so we're we're happy uh, you were able to make it. Oh, well, thanks. Next week on the Married with Children podcast, we have the beginning of a three-part episode. Breaking up is easy to do. This is the first three-part episode since the England show at the end of season six. This is a big story arc. Some people like it. Some people hate it. 
So tune in to find out how uh, what the Married with Children podcast uh, thinks about it. Team Australia will be reviewing it in part one. Al agrees to let Peg invite the Darcy's and Griff plus one to an evening party in exchange for a month of no sex. As a party game, the pairs test the knowledge of the other half. Unfortunately, Al has forgotten the most romantic night between him and Peg, who throws him out to the doghouse, literally. Meanwhile, Kelly is auditioning for a role, but faces stiff competition from her nemesis, Heather Talrico, another blonde bimbo. Kelly challenges Heather to a boxing match. The loser has to give up the role. So this is, again, an exciting story arc. Some people like it, some people hate it. And if you want to know more about it, tune in again next week. As always, same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. I don't know, but I've been told. Garbage thinks when it gets old. Let's go have a beer that's cold. And And leave this episode at the load. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four.